Hey babes, just checking back in to let you know that this is part two of our Jennifer's Body episode with Vic Priano. If you're looking for part one, it's the one right below this. We are so stoked to bring you the rest of this episode. It was a wild ride, and thanks for checking back in. Talk to you in a second, babes. Bye. Where were we? <laughs> oh, she Where just got are you? She- the victim of my nightmares! <laughs> oh my god. She would kill us. Oh my god. We'd be dead. We would be dead. So we get the parallel scenes. <laughs> and there's the beautiful parallel of Chip thinks he's too big for Needy's pussy. Also, there was, <laughs> there was cute teen sex. They it managed is. to get it down in a very good, very it's earnest, so adorable awkward. way. Oh, the tit grab is perfect. It's who. Fantastic. It is exactly where I was at 16 years old, where I was just like, am I allowed to do this? See, I have a mental block. Understood. <laughs> Not because any anything horrible happened. No. Just, but I don't want to think about it. No, I don't either. But when I watch this movie, it brings a lot of it up of like, I was in a, uh, I've, I mentioned this before, but I was in a Christian high school. And so I just assumed that any woman I was dating at the time, because I was not trying to be, but... You know, I was trying not to be queer, and I had made out with multiple men at this point, but I was pretending that I wasn't bi yet, because that wouldn't happen until years later that I found out exactly how to describe myself in a way that felt comfortable. But it would be described as a Jesus bikini. You grab waist, shoulders, head, legs, no hips, no tits. So it was a Jesus bikini. You don't touch the places that Jesus doesn't want you to touch. Jesus died in jail. (laughs) was born and died a Jew. Yeah. I don't know. Like Christianity didn't exist until like another hundred years after also, that. But like, whatever. Blasphemy whatever. aside, Jesus, poly icon. He was fucking Judas, right? Yeah. Like they were together. I have a whole musical about it that's not a ripoff of Jesus Christ Superstar. No, it was that there was is. a lot. There was jealousy within the polycol. It is the the first canonical polycol mm-hmm. in civilization. Um, Thomas actually accused Judas of stealing from the disciples' coffers because he was jealous of Judas with Jesus. Absolutely. I'm No, even if it was an ace one, mm-hmm. it still is what it is. It is what like, it is. Although they are aloe. Like, there is no way of trying to argue with that with me. There's, there's feet washing. There's confirmed sex. There's all of it. So mm-hmm. they're not. This is not an ace partakes. This is such a great podcast. I'm so excited for this to come out. This is probably our, this is every single time it comes out a queer podcast, but this is the queerest version of this we've released so Because we, we both, we have very, a lot of shared lived experiences that we didn't, and it's coming out very earnestly because we yeah, didn't Yeah, no, this know. is all organic and I love this. None of this was planned. I love it. I love it. Oh my God. Where were we? Uh, Jennifer kills Colin. There we go. So... Needy freaks out, leaves Chip in a state, which, you know what? Fair. Go f- good for you, girl. Don't explain to the man why you stopped having sex with him. Just go. Because, honestly, the men aren't going to understand the explanation anyway. I will I will explicitly say cis men are not going to understand explanation of why you don't want to have sex with them. I will say that, like, if we were to have a continuation of this narrative, Chip, I, I, I just envision a fan fiction where Chip's like, oh, I understood everything that happened here. Oh, I would love that version of this. And yet we're not getting it because Chip dies soon. (laughs) Um, But Needy runs away. Jennifer crashes on top of her car and then shows up in her bedroom in her Evil Dead t-shirt. Honestly, that's how it is, though. Like, I don't know how many times. Okay, so um, cross-media reference. I was watching something the other day. And in that, I don't know if I can drop it because you you know it's there. There is a scene in an episode of Monsterland 
Absolutely. where okay. um, yeah. the girl locks her best friend in the closet so she can have sex with her boyfriend. Gross. I can't spoil too much of that. I know. I'm sorry. I need to but see I, it. I but really I'm, want um, to because you're going to love it. But in that moment, I felt I went right back to Jennifer's body because mm-hmm. that totally middle of the night, I need you. I'm in your bedroom, in your clothes. I'm wearing your panties. I'm wearing your Evil Dead t-shirt. And clearly Jennifer doesn't know what Evil Dead is. She doesn't even register the reference. (laughs) So nice that Diablo Diablo Cody would go on to punch up Evil Dead 2013. What is in the concaved ceiling in the corner? Oh, um, there is... So Young Neil slash Chip's room has uh, Motion City soundtrack. No one's talking about... uh, I'm talking about Needy's room because Needy is on one side of her bed when What's Jennifer the is. I can't. I can't visualize it. I know what and it I is. Know I know it's what you're talking about. Important because it was also a reference. I don't think it's another Evil Dead poster, but it is definitely a horror poster. It is. Oh my god! It's um um, fuck. Because it's a continuation of the Sam Raimi Wes Craven. Yes, it is. Thing. Because um, Wes Graven died a few years after this, but not long after this film came out. No. And Diablo Cody and Karen Kusama were inserting themselves in that very cute but very male narrative. I, 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 love, I love the set dressing. It, the set dressing is amazing. That's why I, put, I pointed out the art department, because the set dressing is so perfect. Um, they even talked... There's multiple interviews where they talk about um, all of the posters that they decided to put up. Yeah. And that how some of them were real and some of them were not. I explicitly avoided doing that so you could teach me things. Yeah, I've got it pulled up. I've got 15 tabs, I think, if I counted right. It's because like (laughs) I go into that brain and I'm like, I know my research. I know the way that I learn things, but I know it'll be much more fun because I know the people on the other end of conversations always have the bits that I'm missing. (laughs) And I'm always going to pull myself in on the... um, why did the filmmakers do X thing that doesn't matter, but does matter to me? Also, I do it in my comics. Yeah, I do it too. I'm like, like I, I have no problem doing this. <laughs> no, I do it in all my films. I've done it in every comic I've ever plotted and haven't yet finished. Um, I was actually just organizing my comics. Comics are very hard. I was organizing one of my, uh, uh, my planned graphic novel. Um, in three parts earlier and I found a bunch of my notes on it from five years ago and a meeting with a close friend of mine who still works in the neighborhood about it because he is an illustrator and I wanted him to draw it and he's like no I don't want to draw it but I do want to give you notes oh yeah we'll we'll do that I've, yeah I do that with people all the time I love that meeting <laughs> over breakfast and you're just like let's drink coffee and eat eggs and hash browns at two in the afternoon and <laughs> Call I it breakfast. Day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Jennifer finally explains that she is maybe possessed by a demon, but she gives the whole context of what happened the night of the fire. These disgusting wannabe Maroon 5 boys, which is weird because I also find Maroon 5 disgusting. Did you know Maroon 5 started at the uh, sleepaway camp I went to? Did they really? Yes. I need way more on that story. Maybe not on Mike, but I need way more on that story. Yeah. Um, there was like a rock shop at the like waterfront of that sleepaway camp. And that's apparently where they formed. That was that... my 15-year-old Nick Cave face. So <laughs> her obviously wasn't doing the same kind of work as that. My first published article was, a, was an evisceration of... Maroon 5's second album. That's a good thing to do. It was my first ever published article as a writer. I was 16 years old. Their second album had just come out. Um, it was awful. They hurt my soul. Yeah. Um, Songs About Jane is actually pretty good. Um, Something can slap, but in return also slap in different <laughs> ways. Sometimes they're nice. Sometimes they're abusive. Sometimes they're butts. Sometimes they're faces. Yes. And that's how that entire album feels. Uh huh. That's not wrong at all. Um. Anyway, speaking of slaps in the faces, well, I guess not so much slaps as uh, soft kisses between two women. 
Uh, you mean the most overwhelmingly painful scene in the entire film where I can't breathe? <laughs> so you may, you and I may have different opinions I, on the scene. I'm r- deeply uncomfortable by that scene. And I find it beautiful. Interesting. Yeah. I felt as though there was always a pact to never go to that extent. Because the way that I view the beats in that scene is vulnerability for the sake. I really want to believe that it's, it is Jennifer for a moment. It is. And then it isn't. And the second where it isn't is when that moment happens. That's fair. Um, I love this scene because it's beautiful until it's not. This is, to me, to bring the Evil Dead comparisons in because they are clearly apparent. I mean, literally Jennifer's oh, wearing that. an Evil Dead t-shirt. Evil this Dead until the tent. is Natalie begging David in the Evil Dead reboot that Diablo yes. Cody punched up. Why are you hurting me, David? Why would you do this to me? Yeah. After she's missing both arms and has multiple shotgun pellets in her body and face and nails in her body and face. It's that moment, which is also from the original, which is also from Evil Dead 2, which is also from Army of Darkness to a certain extent. But although that's more of an Evil action Dead movie. Musical, though. I'll give you that. <laughs> that's not wrong at all. Um I also don't think that Army Darkness is part of the canon, even though other people disagree. Um, but this this moment is beautiful to me because it is a truly queer moment in the writing and the direction and the shots without over-sexualizing. We I see Needy that. naked before this with a man. We see Jennifer not even giving her victims the decency of a final fuck before killing them. You know, at least something. She just entices them and then kills them, which is a little, uh... It's a little rude, right? Don't you want one last cut before you die? I feel like that's where her power is. I think it's absolutely where her power is. It's just sort of like, oh, that's mean. That's why she's able to give it to Needy. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's also not her. I think it's her until Needy fully responds. Yes. And that's the vulnerable moment Mm -hmm. where Needy fully responds. And it's Because there's a moment where she kisses back. Yes. And anything past the kissing back, your your tummy turns. Your Mm -hmm. stomach turns because you're like, oh no. This person doesn't love me the way I love them. Yes. This is, that's why Needy turns in this moment. So Jennifer does a lot of exposition here about how she died and came back. Needy decides to discuss, uh, to investigate the occult in her library's admittedly small occult section and my one of my many actually really negative views of the film is in that moment yep it reminds me of joss whedon it sure does and And we're not uh we are i think on record multiple times as not being joss whedon fans on this podcast um we haven't done cabin in the woods yet we are going to to you two enough to know that i'm safe in stating this i was like Yeah, I've seen Firefly like five or six times. Oh, so have I. Um, I've only seen the original Buffy movie and isolated episodes of Buffy. It It's a weird series of shots. It also completely changes the monster that is. Yep. And I feel like I don't usually... It's one of the most... It is not the smartest moment in the movie. No. Um, I think this end of the second act is probably the weakest yeah. part of the film. Um, like, I was slightly offended by the research. Yeah. Um, not even a reference to Rosemary's Baby. They no, could have thrown in one copy of All Them Witches. They absolutely could have. Because we focus on multiple book spines and don't see that title. Oh. And I'm like... It feels cheap, and it feels like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. And... This is better than that. It is. It 100% is. And it's really frustrating that it's not in this moment. Like, I honestly, I can't. I've kind of molded over my head for a couple of days now trying to figure out how I would redo that. Yeah. And it's just not there. 
Like that I think scene the beat is, just is wrong. There. The beat's wrong. The beat's wrong. It doesn't give us anything. No. It only leads up to another kind of ridiculous scene where it's her talking to Chip right before the formal. And she dumps him. And she dumps him, which... To save him is how it's described in the Wikipedia plot synopsis. And it doesn't feel like that. That's not the right way to describe it. She dumps him because he's being a dick. Yes. He sucks. Chip is like... He continues to be like, everything you're saying is weird and you're crazy. And I'm like, okay. He's the Patrick Stump of this movie. He is. (laughs) A soft boy who's probably toxic. Yes. I don't mean to actually cast aspersions on Patrick Stump. I don't know him personally, but he just gives me that vibe with the stick straight burnt hair. I don't know. Like if we were if we're the, going to fan cast the toxicity of Fallout Boy. <laughs> you know I'm going to say it's Pete Wentz. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's all of them. It um, is. It is. Whereas Motion City soundtrack and My Chemical Romance are all perfect bycasts. Oh, absolutely. I love that clip of Gerard Way just like going on about uh, the promotional content specifically for shows about mm-hmm. like flashing and everything mm-hmm. and that always echoes in my mind but and how he makes out with his best friends in the I'm not okay video yes it's fun it's sorry fun's not the right word it's I'm sure nice it was to, yes it seemed fun but it's nice to see it in a way that isn't performative while simultaneously being theater mm-hmm it is a performance that isn't for it isn't for the purpose of performance. It is for the purpose of allowing you in. That's called camp, honey. <laughs> That's John Waters, bitch. <laughs> oh no. Uh, if we want to get into wonderfully unproblematic and yet problematic people, um, how can you be two things at once? We don't know. We'll figure it out someday. But yeah, I do. I do really love the intimacy of the scene between Megan and Needy. I do love Or sorry, uh, it, Jennifer and Needy. It makes me sick now. It does. But it I also make me still sick when I originally watched it. No, me either. And actually it makes me less sick now, but I understand but the deepness of the sickness is more. So like the breadth is smaller, but the deepness is more. Yes. It's a canyon as opposed to or it's a it's a crevasse as opposed to a canyon. Especially met with the end movie crescendo. Yep. It it bothers me that Amanda Seyfried was so uncomfortable with it. I didn't know that. Yeah. So she's talked about multiple times that she is unfortunately straight, which is what I say about everybody who is actually straight but could be queer, which is everyone who's straight. Like, what's the point? <laughs> Everyone's pretty. I, I'm just not opposed. Um <laughs> So anytime I meet, a, I, have, I have multiple straight friends, I hate to admit, but I have multiple straight friends. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, but you could not, you, you don't have to be. You know I that, right? I have one, and he's so excited about that. I have a few, and they're all like, yeah, no, I understand queerness. Like, I understand you. That's why they're still friends. They're like, I get it. I emotionally respond to it, but I don't physically respond to it. It's like, ah, oh, man, you're so close. The physical is the easiest part. <laughs> the emotional is the hard part because emotionality is the hardest part of any relationship and yeah. physicality is easy stimulation is easy I also not to bring in like D&D like jokes again but I kind of rolled with advantage being raised by queer men right <laughs> Needy's obsessed with Jennifer in a different way now because it's soiled <sighs> yep and I love the Madonna horror paradox here because it's from a female perspective. There's also the line mm-hmm. earlier in the movie where I can't remember the term just that Jennifer actually used, but it was, why can't we just play blank? Mm-hmm. And it brought my queer ass back. <laughs> and also brings up a census fail song. <laughs> oh my God. Fuck it! I'm off mic! I can't believe I'm the second person! No, I'm not the first person! I'm not the only person to reference Census Fail in this podcast! Oh my god! Alright, quick story that may make it onto the okay. podcast. I did so many drugs with Census Fail one night, and it was amazing, and they are 
terrifying people that I would never spend time with again because those songs are kind of real. They oh, are trying I... to rip off the Misfits, but they are fucked up people. But holy the shit, please talk are, more. Though, thankfully. Um, yes, no. Danzig's a little Danzig's bit odd. broken. <laughs> He's not well, but he loves cats. Yes. Um. I need more whiskey. I'm like, sorry. It's not the first Henry time Senses Fail has come up on this podcast, Henry but I'm the only other person. You are the only other person who has ever referenced Senses Fail in front of me since like 2009 when this film came out. So thank Sorry, you for that. I don't Sorry. even have that song in my head right now. I have a different song in my head. That's okay. Do you- um, I have a red dress, a blue dress. No, it's good. I'm good for now. Fair enough. Um, but a devil in a blue dress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just give this to you yes. so you have it when you need the it. The gauntlet. <laughs> um. Thanos is Evan Williams. <laughs> so. Sorry, I interrupted all of that. I just got so fucking no, stoked. <laughs> no, I understand. Because there's the whole principle of. So let it enfold you. Like. Let's, let's, let's play gay. Or rather, let's play straight. Yep. And some of the earliest moments of sexuality in my entire life. And I very easily remember one of the first moments of, and I will leave this person's name out. Of course. Is like one of those weird, we were in a hotel room waiting for like, like it was just on vacation or something. And we had one of those, let's play pretend things of a heteronormative couple. Mm-hmm. Like while we were just hanging out. Mm-hmm. And when Jennifer says that in the first act. God. I was just like, so when it actually happened as teenagers, it felt like exploitation. It felt like manipulation. Even if poolside as chip is bleeding out she says i go both ways this movie is never about them both being bisexuals it's not it's about the toxic abuse of their friendship it is which is such an interesting thing because i do feel like this movie is a they are queer women of their own agency outside of this narrative regardless yeah and, and that's why i love canon. it Yep. So I guess I should just bust through the plot so we can get the last few things. We've been recording for like three hours now. <laughs> There's just a lot to talk about with There's this so film. much. Um, I'm just going to bust through this. Needy breaks up with Chip. And this is, sorry, to be clear, this is not about you and me going off on tangents. Oh, I'm going to no, have so much fun, but I'm going to kill myself editing this episode. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm so sorry. That's why I'm like, don't oh, be, God. don't be, don't be, don't be. This is what happens when Nicole's not on. And we have guests is like, everything just falls apart, but it's so amazing. And I love all these episodes. Um, some of my favorite episodes of this podcast. I was so eloquent that. in my notes. <laughs> Look, we're all like eloquent in our notes. And then after four whiskeys, we're uh, not. <laughs> So Needy and Chip break up. Uh, the plot synopsis says it's because Needy wants to protect Chip. I think it's because Needy no real, no longer realizes, or sorry, no longer feels a need for Chip. I think Chip was a stepping stone to Needy 2.0. I completely agree. He is, in a lot of ways, a beard. Oh, isn't he, though? Oh my, We talked about this off mic before we started this podcast, before we started recording. Chip you you said this so perfectly and i i'm going to try and recapture your words but chip is personified exactly enough that you know his name yes did i get that right they do enough work for chip that you know his name and you don't need anything else cuz this story isn't about that him it's about them mhm <sighs> sorry there's so many sighs in this movie because i love it so much but it's so painful it's in so painful. many ways <laughs> Needy gets dressed up by Amy Sedaris in a way that only Amy Sedaris could dress her up. And I'm pretty sure that Amy Sedaris did the costume design for the scene. I don't have any information to back that up. I have no references, but I will stand by this. This is the hill I want to die on in horror films is that Amy Sedaris did the costume design for Needy in the prom scene or the formal scene. Yeah, and she's dressed up like Carrie. Because... Vectored by Amy Sedaris in any project she's ever done. (laughs) 
there's so many shoulder pads there's so much chiffon there's so much lace <laughs> and none of it delicate all no. of it hard right down to the hair that is crisp we literally see Amanda Seyfried's hair burning on camera that was real by the way what yeah she's meant to show up and bring the blood <laughs> And yet she shows up and brings the neon pink. Yes. <laughs> it's not even a hot pink. This no. is like Betsy Johnson pink. Something I will never understand. <laughs> and I, like, no offense to Betsy Johnson, there's just some things that are just quintessential to like Southern Bell heteronormative culture that I will never understand yeah and she was trying to be southern bell vectored by cbgb and she was never either she was too new york to do it yeah she was avril lavigne oh avril lavigne that was too mean to betsy johnson um and too mean to avril lavigne i'm not sure which avril lavigne didn't end up on the tracks in this film Haley williams did with a rather touching song so it turns out that jennifer wasn't a virgin Yes. Which we knew from the top of the yeah, film. She says, the she, there's a literal line. She says, I'm not even a backdoor virgin, thanks to <laughs> Chris Pratt over there, who's a police cadet. Fuck the cops. Also, this movie has a great fuck the cops narrative. <laughs> what will the cops do? And they do nothing. She's just, she's as as soon as they're done with their, their moment, she's just like, what, are you going to wrap me onto the cops? I have them all in my back pocket. <laughs> Which can't be that big because Megan Fox's ass is not impressive, and I'm not trying to say that in a, like a like heteronormative thirsty way. It's more just like no, she's a tiny woman. She's she so very small. small, and that's she's part gorgeous. of her power. No, yeah, part of but that her was power such that was so 2009. That's what I was trying to get at. It's like not even just 2009. If she like she's living a very happy life now, mm-hmm. it seems, but like she really was the sword. So much of her could be used in the battle for all of this yeah. in such an eloquent way because so much of second wave feminism is the principle that you can't look hot as shit, that you can't just be a fucking thirst trap. Right. And here is Megan Fox always looking fucking phenomenal. Yes. And being a badass. Yep. In every way. And she's like, yeah, you know, you could objectify me. I will kill you. <laughs> and in this movie, she does. <laughs> she kills it's all of you. This is Megan Fox's narrative, right? Like, <laughs> it felt like it was written for her, and it wasn't, yeah. but it felt like it was. But she deserves it. She's so cool. I, I love Megan Fox, even though she's love. a hardcore Christian. I didn't know that. See, I love her so much, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, apparently, she's only ever had sex with two people. That's actually kind of sweet. <laughs> it is. Like, you sort of look at it like, I'm I don't want to be diminutive, and I, would, I don't want to be like a that's adorable kind of way, but like a, no, you have a certain view of sex, and you respect that. You're consistent. Yes. And you're not judgmental about it. I would never, she, I would never judge somebody for their their belief system in any sort of way, especially no. if it's causing positive things in other people's lives. Exactly. The moment it switches, though, you got all that just Exactly, yeah. No, get off my back once you uh, start telling me that I'm going to hell because uh, I'm Jewish and there is no hell. Um, <laughs> That's yours, bro. <laughs> but I do love that she has, Megan Fox has said out loud that she is a bisexual person, Yeah. that she actually finds men disgusting, Except for the men that she's slept with, which is only apparently two, according to her. And I'm not trying to name numbers. It's just that she's been very explicit about that in multiple interviews. TikTok has made me feel vindicated from that statement. (laughs) (laughs) But she says that she's like, but Megan Fox has said that she finds men generally disgusting and finds women more beautiful, but has only slept with, has only been intimate with, and that's quoting her words as with men. And is uh, her high school sweetheart and her husband. There's really something to be said about that. Yeah, it's kind of sweet in a way. And I don't, and again, that's not to be diminutive or diminishing. It's. No, specifically with what she brings to the movie. Mm hmm. Because there's there's an even smaller window of people who just have a kind of fear and anguish towards people of the same gender as them. Mm -hmm. And like there's a lot of anxiety that goes into it. And as somebody who works with a lot of adolescents, specifically who are queer, I immediately think of that. Yeah. And as much, one of the reasons that seems so weird for me is it's an out-of-body experience for both of them. It is. Because both of them are scared. Yeah. 
because both of them are scared of saying they need the other one in a <sighs> candid way. Yeah. They're both not able to talk about those emotions. They're able to just use, not use, but like deal with men in an easier way because it's not confronting the elephant in the room that is the toxicity and complexity of the relationship they have together. It's also, let's not be too uh, skittish about it. Men are idiots. Um, <laughs> it's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, and I say that as one. I uh, I fully confirm that I've been a complete dumbass. Uh, Nicole even commented while we were watching this, why would Colin keep entering this abandoned and vermin-filled house? <laughs> and she asked me that question, and I just sort of pointed at her hips <laughs> and was like, shrug? <laughs> because, like, I was 16 at one point. See, I had And I did some dumb shit. <laughs> where my non-binary partner, I was just like, I understand. He's a boy that's into spooky things. And he's like, maybe this is the spooky thing. Maybe you're trying to vibe with me. Me. Maybe you're trying to get into my shit. Yeah. And meanwhile, she even says that. Yeah, Yeah. she does. And I'm like, I've been baited. (laughs) Yeah. Um, My weirdest one was making out with uh, two fraternal twins in the same night. uh, To the same Led Zeppelin song, because those songs are forever long and... I Maybe have similar I have stories who are not, which are not my own, so I will not share. Fair enough, but yeah, no, I um, I meet up with two fraternal twins in one night, very baked on weed, and watching a light show on the ceiling of an apartment I was squatting in, <laughs> to the soundtrack of Zeppelin Four, and I was baited by both of them because both were queer, and I was learning that I was. And there's also a lot to be said about grooming. There is. In relation to even mass presenting people. Mm-hmm. That is not necessarily something that is a highlight of this film, but it is something that this film very briefly touches on. It does. Um, particularly with Adam Brody's character. Yes. For sure. That is a grooming narrative, unquestionably. Like Diablo Cody, I won't speak for her, but it feels like it was being written from a personal perspective it felt personal because uh, like i can admit it's happened to me before happened to me yeah like musicians are fucking sleazy i say that as a fucking musician (laughs) uh i say that as an artist that our artists are fucking sleazy and there were multiple 50 year old men trying to groom me when i was 19 and 20 years old and just getting into uh anyway (laughs) <laughs> i'm not naming names <laughs> not yet they ain't dead um so needy figures out that jennifer's a succubus chip is gaslighting her mm-hmm. jennifer is gaslighting her they all stop talking formal comes and here comes one of my favorite shots Chip is walking through the park because he doesn't have a car, which I very much and relate to. you just to. hear Sugar, we're going down. Yeah, Even if that's not it's the not the song over playing. the yeah, it's not the song over the scene. But he's walking through a foggy exorcist ass park, I'm and we sure see Death is playing during that scene. They are. Uh, yeah, I think it's the White Lies soundtrack, mm-hmm. or it's the Sword soundtrack. I can't remember which one it is at that point. Eh. But we see Jennifer behind him in the background at like a beautiful like twenty degree angle. I, and I still she like looks that like dress. a ghost. That dress is amazing. I'm the gloves only are a little much. To women that look like wraiths. <laughs> Aren't we all? Don't we all want to fuck a ghost like Dan Aykroyd swears Please. he did? <laughs> or no? Um, what's that movie? Oh, God. Um, ghost. No. Um, I was gonna Silk say ghost something. Oh yes, fuck! I can't think of the rest can't of, think it. of it either. I was just thinking about when Demi Moore fucks Will People Goldberg in oh. Ghost because it's not Patrick Swayze. She fucks indigenous representation as well. Yes, in the context of that in mm-hmm. a way that was um, God. What the name? What the hell's the name of that movie? Uh, um, but it was really great to see that because it was almost like everything I wanted from Donnie Darko, but didn't get. But then I got yeah. it exactly nope, it was right in on that, that film. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's this great shot where Jennifer is stalking Chip 
and it's shot at about 20 degrees and this is straight up M. David Mullen just doing his goddamn best and just flexing so hard on all of us. There's so many shots. Like you said earlier, the tight shots, not amazing. No. Wide shots, oh. <laughs> fuck me up, Daddy. Fantastic. Especially, like, what shots are hard to do, right? I mean, wide shots, tight shots and wide shots are the hardest. Having shot both, tight shots are hard because of actors wide shots are hard because of periphery that makes sense actors don't know how to act in tight shots which really bothers me and is why i think actors should be replaced mannequins um with voiceovers oh i'm i'm i mean animation just do animation (laughs) but just draw things yeah but anyway uh jennifer gets chipped to the pool house and we get our fourth telepathy scene while Low Shoulder is playing the formal. Yeah, it's kind of like dropping a location pin. It really is. No, it's exactly what I thought. I was like, oh, I see the red pin where my friend is in the park. The beacon. Yeah, it's like, where are you on the Great Hill in Central Park? Oh, okay, there. Got it. Got it. I can figure it out from there. So Needy eventually sprints in this gorgeous flip of like a uh, rom-com. Where it's usually the man who fucked up and gaslit his partner throughout the film is sprinting to make some big romantic gesture. It's Needy sprinting across a foggy Pride and Prejudice ass field to save her white toast or milk toast white bread Eucharist of a boyfriend. Just boring boy. (laughs) (laughs) From the clutches of her best friend and potential lover jennifer she's gotta just get rid of all the obstacles then they can kill men together i, I wanted a thelma and louise narrative i didn't i really did i i every time i watch this movie i'm like uh oh, i would have liked it more if needy didn't kill jennifer if they went off and were like marceline's think the vampire queens together now in a few films we do um and we way- also have it in adventure time we also have it in Ginger Snaps. We do. But there's a lot of films from... sisters. <laughs> yeah. But there's films from like the this 20-year period. So I'll say like 1989 to 2009. There were a lot of queer-focused films that should have gone differently. And I'll include this one, Let the Right One In... But I'm a cheerleader, Josie and the Pussycats, Jawbreaker, Heathers, and The Craft. Those are the ones I'm going to name off the top of my head. There are more. And so my response to that one is, and it's kind of cruel. None of them deserved it. No. And none of them deserved the flame of what can be. Yeah. Because they misstep in their own ways. They do. It has nothing to do with queer culture. This is the Tumblr me speaking. This is the uh, fan fiction rewriting of every film I've ever seen in which I want uh, Rick and Laszlo from Casablanca to get together. This is where I want Lizzie and her best friend from Pride and Prejudice to get together. Actually, no, I don't because it's truly her and Darcy to the end, but it's Romeo and Mercutio. I don't need Jennifer and Needy to be together. Because she avenges the dead girl. She does. She does. And there's so much beauty to this film in the queerness of it. But there's so much beauty in, in it in the toxicity of queerness. Yeah. Um, I think it's why... I think it's the biggest reason I relate to this movie. Is the toxicity of queerness. Yeah. And it comes from both of them. Oh, absolutely. Neither of them are good. No. Um, so let's get to that. So Jennifer kills Chip. And... There's this very milquetoast, boring scene where Needy and Chip express their love for each other, and I don't believe it. I don't care for it. No, you're 17. You don't love each other. You think you know what love is, but you're... You just want some nice words as he dies. Uh Uh-huh. He went to Super Target and got more condoms. Aw. Which, you know, for a 17-year-old, respect. (laughs) You went on your own. I respect you for that. My partner's like, what's super target? (laughs) (laughs) 
Only because I lived in Colorado do I know what a super target is. They live in Pittsburgh. I don't know how they don't know what a super target is. That's basically Colorado, right? Yeah, I think That's Denver. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) There's the penguins. That's it. I don't know. (laughs) That's hockey. Pittsburgh scares me. Uh, It's um, Appalachia with more factories. That makes sense. And they don't want to be either. They're stuck in the 19th century. It's a huge moment of accountability shift (laughs) between Jennifer and Needy, where Needy is finally able to start to show a bit of the Needy that we see in the beginning of the film Mm -hmm. and at the very end of the film and then in the rolling credits. Yep. And it's the moment where she's like, you need me. Yep. And your social status has drowned. The reason I'm not your last girl is because you need me to see all of your gore and mm-hmm. all of your victims. Mm-hmm. Because it's a fucking performance for me. Yeah. Because you're so fucking insecure. Because you're so dependent on me being there for you that I have to be the last thing that's there for you and nothing can stand between us. I would compare it in a certain way to Regina George and Katie Heron okay. from Mean Girls. Yeah. Regina needs Katie more than Katie needs Regina. Yes. Because Regina needs Katie as a support block, a baseline of how hot you can be, how clever you can be, how cool you can be. It's at the baseline. And Needy is a very low baseline for Jennifer. Jennifer is only as cool as she is relative to Needy because she hangs out with Needy. And this is the moment that Needy recognizes that and says, oh, no. You don't exist without me. Because otherwise, you're just a hot asshole. Yeah. And we've all dated that. Some of us didn't date it and just let it burn the hole like Needy did. Or like the uh, like the alien through the Nostromo's hole. Yes. Because <laughs> that was me, was letting the uh, the person who wanted to use me burn a hole through me and everyone else I knew. Yeah. Oh, bringing up some memories. We're, we are dealing with trauma on this podcast, which is not usually the... <laughs> no, but It's usually pretty lighthearted, but Jennifer's this is... body is a tra- traumatic thing for especially, especially a lot of the things that it touches on. Yeah. Because it's, it's the music scene that we grew up in. It's also the fight between how I'm going to allow this person to treat me and how it informs who I am later on. Mm-hmm. And damn, does Needy get tough. In the last scene, in the best way. Yes. So it's a wonderful turn, too. And it you think the Needy's best getting and away worst from it. parts of the relationship. Of both of them. Yes. So Needy... Uh, sorry, Chip stabs Jennifer mm-hmm. before she can kill Needy. And she very egregiously pulls. It's so good. Out in such a beautiful way. And one of my favorite lines is Do you have a tampon? <laughs> what? No. Ugh, I thought you might be plugging. And it's such a, like. And it's also a callback to earlier in the film where um, Jennifer's walking down the hallway and she turns to Needy and says, PMS is just something men make up to control women folk. Yeah. Just to make it seem like we're crazy. Yeah. And I love that. I love it. Because she turns on Needy in that moment. I think she's on Needy's side until. I honestly, until, like, even after Chip's death, I think she's on Needy's side. I think she wants Needy to be with her. It's a vi- it's a vampire narrative, right? It graduates fully into a vampire narrative. It does, yeah. And but it, this is the moment where it starts is where I think Jennifer really really loves Needy. She does. They're just both far too toxic and far too invested into all of it to ever make something sustainable out of it. And I would I would blame a lot of that on being 17. Yeah. Um if they were in their late 20s early 30s, it'd be something beautiful. I think they'd still pull the same shit. They would, but they would actually talk about it and deal with it as adults. That's the rom-com I want to write. This is is true (laughs) Tumblr tracks. This is turning into a pitch. (laughs) We'll write it together. We don't need to put it on mic. Uh, No one needs to steal our ideas. I I don't 
I don't need it because their story ends. It does. But I also want to write it. Because <laughs> I love writing I love writing queer narratives. Um, <laughs> it's just all I do. But Jennifer does get stabbed by Chip. Chip dies. Him and Needy tell them tell each other they love each other in the most boring way. Oh well. <laughs> yeah, it is exactly oh well. Whole story, bro. Yeah. And it's both of them doing that. And she's like, Chip. And it's like, not believable. Because it's not the emotionality of the scene. The emotionality of the scene is when Needy fucking reverse yeets herself through a window. Yeah. (laughs) After Jennifer has yeeted herself out of multiple windows, I love a reverse yeet. You know, a break in as opposed to a breakout. So Needy reverse yeets herself through Jennifer's window as Jennifer is like trying to figure out her next move. She has healed from the uh, the pool wound. Yes, but Needy attacks her. They have a lot of sexually tense, emotional tense moments. There's some nice vampire shit where they're floating off the bed. They're Confessing their love through their hate for each other. Essentially, I will make the argument in the magician's pilot that the levitation scene between Katie and Penny is inspired maybe by the levitation scene in that film. I really need to watch the magicians. Um, because they have the same levitation scene. My wonderful brother is getting but, like, a magician's tattoo, them. but I also need to watch the magicians. Um, it is an unfortunate blind spot for me. It, is, it ends in queer tragedy, so it's almost not worth it. <sighs> I've already seen Firefly. I've seen Dollhouse. I've seen. You don't need it. Yeah. It. You don't need it because it hurts in the end for no reason. It also fully does a weird poly erasure thing. But that's... oh, gross! Oh. <laughs> All I want is queer rom coms. Yeah, it almost does it, then it doesn't. Uh, God bless uh, something great for giving us at least some measure of a queer rom-com inside of a straight rom-com. But having the girls transition from one bed to the next, and then it be the end and the staking and the penetration of the single dagger that ended up ending Jennifer's life initially, Mm -hmm. as she is also bitten by Jennifer. And has been scratched by her before. Yes. I think the transition started earlier. Oh, same. It makes sense that she's able to do half the shit she can do. This right? isn't a Mary Sue movie. She gets no. the powers as she earns them. Mm-hmm. This is a Scott Pilgrim situation. This is a yeah. Samus situation. Or should I say Metroid? I don't but know. But <laughs> Castlevania? All's good. <laughs> she earns the powers as she moves she to does. Zelda. All three of those were great. I yeah. played all of them. Yeah. I'm just trying to I'm catching all of our audience. You all know? of us. It's still all Nintendo. But <laughs> um, so yeah, she ends up stabbing her in the chest with the utility knife. But one of my favorite lines in the film comes in this moment. Do you know what this is for? Fuck you. Cutting boxes. <laughs> I, I love... totally retconned it being a utility knife. I don't know why my brain did that. It's a box cutter. That's a betrayal. Did she? Add, but did it show her opening it and actually have the noise of a box cutter? Yeah. And my bad. Um, it's just one of those moments. It's a very. It's too clever by half, but in a yeah. way that I love. Because uh, for those of our younger listeners, or maybe um, less informed listeners, a box is a synonym for vagina. <laughs> And it is 100% a slur. But it's a great line playing on that slur because Jennifer has referred to Needy as numerous slurs for vagina yeah. throughout the film. And it's Needy's final moment saying, it's for cutting boxes. And it's such a powerful moment that sucks, but is great. <laughs> it's an Ash Williams moment, right? Like, this yeah. is her saying, actually, you know what? It's uh, Mia from the remake of Evil Dead. I like that more. <laughs> saying, I'll swallow your soul. And she says, swallow this. Yes. And shoves a chainsaw down the abomination's yeah. throat. And this is Needy cutting the box. And then mom comes in and they become children again. 
it's so childish in this moment. Thank you for recognizing that. That is one of my favorite moments in the film. Because, because you realize how small they are again. There is a tiny girl who has stabbed her best friend on her own bed. Mm-hmm. And the mom comes in, has no fucking idea what it is for a moment. There's a pause and she's like, oh, they're just playing. And then the reality of the entire thing washes over her. And that's when she and says Nadie's name. Yeah. It's amazing. It's it's a beautiful moment. It's probably the best acted moment in the film. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's a true set piece. And she says, needy. And you realize the moment of like, oh, they're gay. And then you realize the moment of, oh, no, she killed her. Yes. Because needy is mounted on Jennifer. Yep. And it is a sexual I, I moment. the term I explicitly Please. used was... The way Needy straddles her friend as she ends her life has some cheap vampire slang in such an insanely devastating moment. Yes. I was thinking that's of where it bites back from that research bites scene. Bites back. Yep. Because you're like, oh, God, why did you do that research thing? And then you get the box cutter to the, where did you stab me? In your fucking heart. <laughs> yeah. Well. And Nicole wanted me to also point this out. I've been getting text notes from her all during this recording. Um, she wanted it to be pointed out that how shitty would it be for your last words to be, my tits? Because <laughs> those are Jennifer's last words are my tit ellipsis. And Needy says, no, your heart. Yeah. And aren't those the same thing for Jennifer in a certain way? Yes, but also, like, she always saw beyond it. She and did. her point of survival was the reason Needy was the person able to do this. Mm-hmm. Is she knew there was more. Yeah. She just couldn't access it. It's so frustrating. Like, this is a, um, this is a frustrating queer love story to me. There's a version of this film that is a beautiful, happy queer love story. And there's a version that is every other queer love story that's actually been produced because there's no happy ones. I always, the thing that causes me to distance myself from that is only because I, as much as it is queer, it's that we've already confirmed that on all levels. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's the death of a friendship, of yeah. a toxic friendship that of course had romantic subtext all over the of place. Course. But it's what they put themselves through because they were unwilling to address anything beyond their comprehension is mm-hmm. is the true nightmare. It's oof, yeah, um, and I think that's what breaks my heart the most about this movie um, is wow. that the friendship was the problem, not the romance. No, yeah, I mean yes, um, not no. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very New York thing to say. Yeah, no, no, yes, no. <laughs> But what kills me so much is exactly that, is that, I mean, I've been in, I've been in a number of friendships that bordered on relationships because love is a mini vectored vector. Yeah. And you can be deeply intimate with a person that you are not romantically or sexually attracted to or either or one or the other or both. Like no aloe elements as I refer to them in my, (laughs) in my brain. But the two of them clearly have a romantic friendship. Absolutely. That only exists toxically because of the world they live in. Yep. Where they're not allowed to be gay. And this is 2000. This is six years before gay marriage was legalized. And they're in a small town in Minnesota. And so I read a lot of that into this film of like, no, you're not allowed to be the person you want to be. And so you destroy each other because of that. I agree with that for the most part. And it's also, I'm, I'm reading a lot of myself into this film. Oh, no, I totally understand that. <laughs> Even though I've only lived, ever lived in giant cities. Yeah. <laughs> um, I understand the I, small townness I of fully, queerness. <laughs> I it's the like it's the dependency factor of all that's exactly what i'm getting at i i'm just making sure that i i got to everything that i wrote down 
Yeah, and I mean, we're bordering on three hours of recording right now. (laughs) It's going to be a long week, but I'm not mad about it. No, no, don't be sorry. This has been so much fun. Um, Um, Let me take a quick break. Of course, you you should really watch Iron Ribbon. I'm glad we didn't get into the Desiree stuff because that stuff was insane. It's a whole different nightmare. Um, So I guess the end of the plot is that... Yeah, um, Jennifer's mother finds Needy stabbing Jennifer in the chest with the box cutter, because that's the joke that's made, and then has a beautiful Pieta scene. Thank you, Kusama and Mullen, for understanding exactly how to frame a Michelangelo shot. Um, but we see that Needy is back in the asylum. We're back in the present from the beginning of the film. Like specifically the passenger. Yeah. Um, and she's meditate. She's Dr. Xing. Yeah. At the top of the cell of uh, the solitary confinement. So which is a horrible human rights violation. Uh, abolish prisons, abolish ICE, abolish cops. The entirety of the insane asylum is my least favorite part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a nice one flew over the cuckoo's it nest is, reference. It is. It's a nice reference, but in the way of editing, my perspective is: is the reference worth it? And it I is read it for as the narrative. It is, um, but I read it as a fuck asylums. Oh, absolutely. Take right, like the oh. the top and the bottom of the film are fuck asylums like we've mainly focused on mostly the positive and emotionally impactful moments of it the yeah. first five minutes of that the film make me want to throw throw things throw diablo cody's oscar at the, my screens <laughs> not because she's wrong to include them but because it hurts too bad and yeah it's a constant threat in my life um <laughs> But what we do get is a nice moment where Needy escapes the asylum. And she has the scar and the experience of everything that happened in this movie. Sure does. Both the good and bad of their entire relationship and has grown from it. And she murders the fuck out of Adam Brody and his friends. Yeah. And you know what? It's so cathartic. I this is what like, this We didn't even need to talk about that scene. I felt no need to talk about that scene. That scene just makes me gag. <laughs> the actual but, sacrifice scene. Oh, yeah, no. We did not touch we on the sacrificing because um I've got a lot of things that cause problems in my life and I don't need that scene even though it's exactly what it should be. Oh, no, it's an amazing scene. In its regard to what it's working with. The fact that he stabs her while screaming the lyrics to Ginny's number. Yes. We should have touched on. That's one thing we should have touched on is his um, his casuality. Yeah. It's almost like he was just killing a girl for a song. It's Yeah. It's almost like he was assaulting a woman to get off in some way. It's just self-indulgence. <laughs> it really is. And not mindless self-indulgence. We're actually very nice people and just love mushrooms. Uh- <laughs> they have a few songs that shouldn't exist. That's also true. We'll say the Mars Volta. Yes. The Mars Volta is a really wonderful group of weirdos. Yeah. I also loved at the drive-in, so it all yeah, it's falls all, in really well. It's all in the uh, it's all in the uh, drive-in Volta universe. The Omariverse. Yes, it is exactly the Omariverse um, of just psychedelics and dope shit that borders on Philip Glass compositions. Yeah, it is minimalism done opposite, and I love it. <laughs> the Philip Glass reference hits. <laughs> I, uh, I talk about Philip Glass once a week with friend of the pod and composer of our theme song, <laughs> Seth Aiken. We talk about Philip Glass every week. Um, but yeah, Needy kills the members of Low Shoulder, and it's an amazing, amazing end sequence. Oh, absolutely. I love, um, I love the paparazzi the, shots. The, so good. The over the top, this is a biopic. 
Yeah, it it's feels my e very true Hollywood story. Yeah, <laughs> it's an e true Hollywood story for sure. This is fucking. Uh, this is poison in the hotel room. Yes, because that's who they want to be. And I love that they gave us the moment for them to just really sap up their entire lives and see how mm-hmm. gross they were before they were just. We already knew, but we got a little bit more of it before yeah. they were justifiably stabbed to death. Yeah, with the very night they killed Jamberwood. Yeah. Also, uh, weird note, not a Bowie knife. It's not. And it's because my knife in my house looks exactly like it. And that's not a Bowie knife. No. A uh, Bowie knife has a back end serrated edge, uh, much like the knife I showed you all earlier, uh, which I guess I'll put in the episode notes um, <laughs> or on our website. But I have a knife Many that is uh, much more, uh, much closer to a Bowie knife. Than the one featured in this film. The, this is a hunting knife. It is a hunting knife. And the knife that is in my apartment almost looks exactly like it to the handle. Yeah. It's a beautiful knife. I would very much like to own it. It, looks, it scares me. <laughs> it's got a very keen edge. You'd have to work real hard on your I stones know, to I know, keep that sharp. I know, but if you think about... The work involved in that, that makes it a scarier knife. It does, it does, it does. It makes sense that it killed her as fast as it did, even though he went way too hard in the stabbing scene. The total knife count is five. <laughs> <laughs> see, um, in my room there's one, two, three, four, five, six. I have seven knives in this room. <laughs> some hidden, some not. Try growing up Jewish and Arabic. It's not great. <laughs> Arabic kids have knives. Look, we just it's like canon. knowing that we I can escape. Mind. We also have cash under floorboards. Don't go looking. <laughs> we're, we're telling you little known stereotypes. <laughs> we just need to know how to move when we need to move. It's not about hoarding. It's about preparation. It is. <laughs> Y'all don't want us anywhere we are, so we just keep going. <laughs> Uh, I have so much more I could say about this movie, but we are clocked yeah, in no, at are, nearly three are. hours of recording, so I think I'm going to call this. Um, Wonderful Vic, end scene. Vic, I would love to hear what you have to say about your plugs. Oh. Um, I... But or otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> I will cut that. I'm sorry. That was a strange no, joke. Keep I it. Keep with, it. Yeah. I don't care. It's fine. <laughs> There's at least six. <laughs> I have one. <laughs> But it vibrates, so it's, I don't need another one. I, like, I, I feel like having various different like kinds and various different like materials. There's many shapes, materials. Um, it's really important. You should be able to fridge things to replicate the concrete in the scene between <laughs> Jennifer and Needy. <laughs> Sometimes you need to vibrate to represent other... <laughs> Moments between I am Jennifer accessible and, and very sex and death positive on Twitter and also Instagram, as well as on Monday and Wednesday, 11 a.m. on Monday and Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Twitch at Dice, Drinks, and Drama. And my handle is Major Tomorrow. And that is M-A-J-O-R underscore T-M-R-W, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Just to make sure, because I always say it in my head, but I'm like, oh, no, it's I spelled wrong. I say it wrong. right in my head because we're MySpace kids. <laughs> <laughs> no vowels, all X's. All X's. And underscores. No, J-K, J-K, A-K, L-O-L-O-L-O-L. L-O-L. <laughs> Cut that. <laughs> Straight edge. JK. Yes. We're very drunk at this podcast <laughs> at this point. <laughs> But that's exactly what Dice, Drinks, and Drama combining with Horror Babes does. You can find us. Oh, I never have to do the plugs. Oh, my God. You can find us at Horror Babes Podcast on Instagram, at Horror Babes Pod on Twitter, at HorrorBabesPod.com is our website. I've been Topher. This has been my amazing friend, Vic Priano, subbing in for the Succubus Nicole who is, I, I, that sounds so misogynist when I say it in it's, this very male-bodied voice, but I actually kind of respect it. No, if nothing else, the succubus is all we want to be at the end of the day. I just want to be an incubus, you know, like as a, a male-bodied and uh, identifying person, I would love to be an incubus. I currently have an incubus in my ongoing monster of the week, I'm currently... <laughs> 
All right. I love that. I love that. Catch us both playing D&D online whenever we can. We're working on some collabs. We've got some shit coming out together. We can't talk about it yet because it is in progress and we don't want to spoil things. But we love you so much. And uh, Vic, you want to join me on the uh, the outro? Bye, babes. Bye, babes. <laughs> I'm so bad at that. That's the joke. No. Yeah, babe.